The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome into Cars and Culture. I'm Automotive News Publisher Jason Stein in Detroit. Life is never easy when you're in a position to replace a CEO at a multi-billion dollar company. The pressure certainly is ratcheted a bit higher when that transition includes a tradition and a family heritage. One started in 1957 in a Cadillac dealership with the ambition of a young man who risked it all to start a business and is now passing it on to you as the third generation. And then, of course, there's the issue of being a new CEO as a pandemic grips the planet just two months into the job. Perhaps Enterprise Holdings boss Chrissy Taylor was made for these challenges, not only thanks to her 17 different positions within the company, not only because she was immersed in the enterprise culture, a philosophy shared at the family dinner table from Jack, her grandfather, to Andy, her father. But take care of your employees, enjoy what you do, innovate, and provide a simple focus. That's Enterprise's motto. And do it all with a sharp wit, a smile, and a care for your teammates. That's Chrissy Taylor's model. Joining me now with more on travel in a post-vaccine economy and helping out local businesses is Chrissy Taylor, CEO of Enterprise Holdings, which owns the Enterprise, National, and Alamo car rental companies. And beyond her name, perhaps Chrissy Taylor was born to lead the 80,000 employees and a global rental car business that's the largest in the world. Times like these call for a culture created nearly 65 years ago and maintained, nurtured, and reinforced during extraordinary business conditions. There were no guarantees for Chrissy Taylor following her ascension to CEO, but she's doing it all with a razor-sharp focus, excessive teamwork, and a smile. In a rare interview for the Enterprise CEO, Chrissy Taylor is our guest today on Cars and Culture. Chrissy, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the show. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for being on. A, a bit of a personal start to this conversation. Very few would know that I was one of the first people whom you talked to when you were in your new role, right? We, uh -huh. we sat next to each other at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Uh, we were about six days into January. You were five days into your new role. And we were two months before the world was going to shut down. And uh, you were about to appear on stage. It didn't seem like it to me, but it must have been a little nerve-wracking for you. It was your first public appearance in that role. Was it? Yes, it was. Well, first of all, I was really excited to be in the role and then be able to speak at CES. I mean, that is a that is a big deal. We also had our team and our customer experience team there. And so, yes, I'm always nervous before I have to get up because I want to make sure as a family business and as the new CEO... I was I was representing our business and our company um, well, and so. But I was excited to be there. And before the world fell apart two months later, that was really my la my first and only pub major public it was, speaking session um, since I've been CEO. It was your last, wasn't it? It was your first and your last. My last. <laughs> I'm not sure if I should be offended by that, but there's so much that has been going on that we'll just sort of you know push that one aside. We're ob <laughs> we'll obviously talk COVID implications and what's happened over the course of the last. Uh, 15 months or so. How could we not, frankly? But what struck you the most about those first couple of months pre-pandemic, literally a couple of months? You were just getting ready to become the fourth CEO in company history. You had a back-to-back -back female CEO transition, obviously third generation. How'd you digest that? I have worked for the business for it's been over 20 years, so it's 21 years now, and I've held 17 different positions within the organization. And so I felt that the mentors and the leaders that came before me had prepared me, but you never know until you get into that spot, any position that you get promoted for. And it was even more surreal for me personally, because my grandfather founded the business in 1957 in the lower level of a Cadillac dealership. Mm -hmm. He was a real risk taker, a real entrepreneur, and had seven cars and grew the business. And then my father entered the business when he was 16 and took over as president in 1980. Um, and I think we had 75 million in revenue at the time. And so he was really the visionary to see and, and 
um, could see how big the business could be and grow that footprint with discipline and parameters around it in the playing field. Um, and then Pam Nicholson took over as a non-family member, female CEO for six years, who was always a friend and mentor to me, which made it so even more important that I, you know, you know, I was taking on the on this role as a woman to a woman and as a friend to a friend. And so I'm incredibly um, honored and humbled by the position that I'm in and you know, the business continues to move forward, even with all of the challenges and our leadership over 60 years has just been phenomenal. And I have learned, uh, learned from them every step of the way. But 17 positions or not, I mean, that's pretty heady stuff. I mean, what you just described, right? Uh, going all the way back to that Cadillac dealership uh, where your grandfather in, in partnering with um, a gentleman named Arthur Lindbergh um, mm -hmm. and taking a 50% pay cut, putting up $25,000 for a 25% interest in the business in something that nobody even could, con you know, had conceived to that point, uh, looking at people whose cars were in the shop and trying to get them into this executive leasing company program with the seven cars that you mentioned. That's the history of the company. We fast forward all the way to you taking over. It's a big weight on your shoulders, right? It is, but I'm excited about it. And the family is com completely committed to this business. And we are family owned and operated. And the most important thing to us is our employees and our customers. And if we keep those two things top of mind, the business will continue to evolve and develop. And as a family, the support of my cousins, um, which I have two sisters and I have two cousins and we're all females in the third generation. And our fourth generation is all female as well. Hmm. But we are all in on this business. And over the past year and a half or 14 months of what we've gone through, we eat, we are even more excited, enthusiastic, and committed to the business. So yes, being a CEO in general is stressful. And yes, it is our family business, but the support from the family overall um, really helped me personally get through the last 14 months. Yeah, I bet. What was it like growing up inside the Taylor family? fun, <laughs> competitive. Um, yeah, you know what, we're just, a, we are a regular family and my father would go to work and we knew that Jack, we obviously knew growing up that Jack had started a business and then my father worked for the business um, and my mom completely supported it. And we would talk about at family dinners, not necessarily about the business ins and out, but we would talk about customer service and why it was important. We would talk about our employees and how important they were to the overall success of the business. And so it was more of a cultural and philosophical understanding and appreciation that we all grew for the business. So deciding whether or not to work for the business, I knew it was a great place that I would thrive and be successful. Um, and it was my own personal choice to do that. But growing up in the family, um, it was great. You know, I have a twin sister. I have an older sister. We all do different things. We're all passionate about different things. Um, but we all are good stewards of the business, which is incredibly important when we have 80,000 employees, you know, 2 million vehicles, a global footprint like we do. Outside of the business that you were doing as a family, was it a car family? I would not say that we're a car family. Mm -hmm. um, my dad spends his time not on cars, but on traveling and being with us. All, everyone's always like, oh, what kind of cool car does your dad have in the, in the garage? Well, he has, he has one car and um, that's what he drives. So I would not say that we're, it's not about cars. It's, it's, it's about our people. It's about our customers. So I would not say we are a car family to the well, core. <laughs> how much time did you spend investigating what your grandfather built? How much time did you spend getting to know him and, and really understanding the, the, the model there? I spent a lot of time. I think once I went to college and had some business experience and was meeting other people outside St. Louis and not just in my high school, I think that's when you start to develop your business sense, your business acumen, what you're passionate about. I interned in college at, in our St. Louis operation, and that was really the first taste of okay, this is what this really means on a daily basis. This is how this business model works. Um, and so I think really in college is when I started to realize um, 
what a big deal it was that he started. It's a great American story. It's a great American story. Mm -hmm. It's a great American story. And it's about customer service and it's about growing the business and, and giving back to our communities. That's when I really started to understand it. And Jack, when I think about Jack, because we call him Jack, not grandpa. When I think about Jack, he was a very kind, charming man who was a risk taker. You know, we're named after the USS Enterprise. He flew aircraft carriers off the USS Enterprise without radars in World War II. That is the true sense of a risk taker. And he came back and took a risk. He's an entrepreneur and it has worked out beautifully. Um, but we try and, what we do is not easy, but we try and keep the messages simple. And that's really about giving back to our communities, keeping our employees top of mind and our customers. In fact, yeah, his business credo, uh, of course, which you know, take care of your customers and employees first and profits will follow. He wasn't about when he took that one step back, if you will, in 1957 and decided that he was going to do this from his position as a sales manager to go into this venture. Um, he for sure knew that he was taking a risk, but that if you treated people the right way, that things would take care of themselves. And if you look at amazingly, Chrissy, by 1992, Enterprise surpassed a billion dollars in revenue. When I started Enterprise, I just, I just wanted the customer when they walked out the door to say, God, that's a nice guy. And that must, that's, a, that's a nice place to do business. <laughs> no, I had no thought about being the biggest. I, I wanted to be the best. And I wanted the people to be happy. And I wanted to be happy. And I, the, the bottom line was not a big consideration. Definitely putting your customers and employees first and recognizing a need. Um, Jack was so good at that because he entered the fleet management business before he entered daily rental in the Cadillac dealership. And so he was leasing Cadillacs and other types of vehicles. But what he saw was a customer need and the customer asking for something. And that was when they ordered vehicles, they would be waiting in the lobby of the Cadillac dealership. And he's like, well, I can provide, I can provide you transportation and enter in the rental business. And so he was very, um, intuitive and, um, aware of what his customers wanted because he got to know them and had a personal relationship with them and they were watching their habits. And that's something that we need to do today. The customer experience, as you know, everyone, we want to make sure that we're providing the right experience for that customer so we can continue to grow. And that's exactly what Jack was doing. He listened and watched his customers. As you progressed through the company, you had an interesting trail and you, you mentioned the numerous positions that that you've held, but one of them was an expat assignment, which is not necessarily a normal pathway for most American companies, certainly. And obviously, we know the global ambitions that uh, Enterprise Holdings has had through the years. How important was that for you, even just in the appreciation of different cultures and different ways of doing business? You went there in 2006 to London and, mm -hmm. um, and, and spent a good amount of time just understanding um, how the global business should run. But what did you learn the most? Yeah, it absolutely was an important step in my career. Um, just, you know, I could have worked my entire life in St. Louis and understood the rental operations and all the things that we were doing. However, going over to Europe personally built confidence for me because it was my assignment. It was my job. I was helping build the team over there and the brand and to learn the, the risk that our team was taking over there because our brands were not as well known. And so getting there, I think just personally, it helped me with my confidence um, within the business. And then what did I learn? Um, I'm the first CEO with international experience and it really gave me a global perspective. You know, we're offering products and services to all of our customers, and that feels a little bit different in different countries and different cultures and different perspective and what our employees are thinking and how we deliver that service. So it was a global perspective and then also how to build a brand. In 2006, our brands were not known like they are like they're known in North America. And it was only the enterprise brand. It was not National and Alamo. And so what does it fundamentally take to build a brand? And that was really exciting. It takes a lot of hard work, um, but that's what they were doing at the time. And so that really helped me in my career and the global perspective. When you returned, how were you changed personally? 
oh, I think I was much more appreciative of and open to ideas. And we've always done things this way, but it was being open-minded and maybe doing things a little bit differently because I believe that our core values, taking care of our customers, employees are first, those things will never change, but what we do and how we execute those may change. And I was much more open to that. And I think that that's very relevant today as we move forward and people's transportation and mobility needs change. We need to make sure that as a company, our values remain the same, but what we're doing and how we execute that potentially are different with new technologies. Inevitably, when you're in a family business and um, you assume several different roles in different places, there are obviously team members who go, well, I know who she is when she's walking through the door and now she's you know, going to have this role within our operation. Um, you're kind of like the original undercover boss, aren't you? I guess. Um, I guess you could look at it that way. Um, you know what? We have such a fun and friendly and team-oriented culture, and our employees are our family. And so coming in, I, I literally never felt that somebody, of course they knew who I was, but sure. it wasn't like I wasn't going to participate. I worked in a rental branch. I was an intern. I was picking up customers. We were busy. I was answering the phone, you know, and we go and we wash the cars to help in whatever was going on in the branch. And so um, it was a team sport. And that's been my attitude the entire the entire time. Um, and that, you know, for me and I think our entire enterprise team were fun we're competitive. We want to do the right thing. We want to help our customers. And that just was an environment that I was going to thrive in and teamwork, teamwork rules. So I know you've been asked this before, but did you think about doing something else? Yeah. So I wasn't, <laughs> I knew I loved enterprise once I interned in college, but I did, I said, you know what, let me just make sure, let me check this. So after I graduated, I interviewed with about 15 other companies in other cities. And I was sitting in the interview thinking, what am I doing? Like, why would I, I mean, great company, but why am I going to do this when all of my time and energy should be with my family and with the business that I know so much about? And so in 2000, um, I became a full-time management trainee in the St. Louis group. And there we go. 20 years later, <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> How much did your dad help you along the way? I think you really need to understand who you are, what you don't know what you think you might know, what you're really good at, what you're really maybe not good at. And you have to bootstrap off of that. You can't just go out and quickly wave a magic wand and come up with some other business capabilities or knowledge. I mean, you can hire some experts, but at the end of the day, you've got to do it yourself. Oh, he's so my dad always said in deciding whether or not to work for the business, he always said, be a good steward of the business and do what you're passionate about. And so he really gave me the leeway to make the choice because he didn't want to force anybody into the business because if you force somebody to do something, they won't be successful and they won't be a contributing um, team member to everybody else. They won't provide value. But along the way, you know, my dad never wanted to manage me or be my boss. And so he was very um, thoughtful about who was mentoring me who was around me, what was the network, and what are those things that I need to learn that were important fundamentals to the business, but then also culturally and philosophically, what are the what, who was going to be my mentor and making decisions for the business. Um, and Pam Nicholson, our previous CEO, was one of those, was one of those people. And so he has, my father has been instrumental in my career but indirectly, I would directly, but indirectly from a visibility standpoint, but now he's my boss, right? So <laughs> yes. now I'm actually reporting to him. And so we had to have a big conversation about, hi, you're my boss. Hi, yes, I am your employee and I am your daughter. And so, you know, there were a couple things that he, that he said to me. He said, if this, if this relationship is going to work, there shouldn't be any surprises no surprises. He's like, you, Chrissy, should be calling me more than I'm calling you if hmm. this is going to work. It needs to be that I'm managing the business and the operations and I'm going to him for support, guidance, and in some cases, approvals. 
And knock on wood, so far, I think it's going well. But maybe you want to interview him for it. <laughs> well, we'll check in with him and then I'll get back to you. Yeah, can you? That would be very, very helpful. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic, right? I mean, you, you inevitably, you want to make... I think every um, child wants to make their parents happy. They want them to be proud of what they've done. Every father wants to be proud of what their child has done. But it's but you're in this you're in a serious business with a lot of money on the line, right? And and a long heritage and reputation. It's um, family dynamics are strange sometimes, right? They're they're they can be interesting. Yeah, they can be emotional. Yeah. You no, know, every. My this is the one my father has spent a lot of time with the family, the governance of the family, um, making sure that we are all aligned and we are all aligned that the business and our employees are number one priority. And we do not want to be an obstacle for them. We should be the family should be removing barriers so the so the fam, so the business can be successful. And if any one of us goes off the reservation that's just not going to work for everyone. And we set that expectation decades ago. And my father is really um, the leader of the family. He is um, the inspiration for the family. And we all know, we all, whether, whether my sister works for the business or not, she contributes to the business. And we all appreciate the value that each one of us brings. Um, but we have an understanding that the business and our people are the most important thing. And we are so invested in it and we love it and we want it to grow and we want to be around for another 60 years plus. Yeah. Leading up to that January 1st, 2020 date, what did you know that you wanted to accomplish as you set out to, to take on that role? And I'm not, I'm not talking about March of 2020 now. I'm talking about what your mindset was going into yeah. that turn of the decade, the new year. Yeah, and, absolutely. And a new so, role. It, totally. So yes, I had laid out a vision and a plan. And, you know, that really started in December as Pam and I were transitioning. And so in January, I was getting everyone together. We were talking about plans and what we wanted to invest in. Um, and so really, we are thinking long and hard about the mobility industry, because the mobility industry, it's not just transportation. It's growing, it's evolving, it's changing, and it's done exactly what enterprise has done over the past 60 years. We're growing, we're changing. Customers' expectations are changing. And so we wanna be the best mobility provider in the world. And with you know great leadership, we are the largest owner and operator of vehicles in the world. We can take a leadership role in that but we need to be a good partner too. And so we wanna be a leader in the mobility industry and that evolution. We also wanna be a good partner because it's going to be incredibly complicated, whether you're talking about EVs or autonomous or just technology to improve the customer experience. And so we had laid out plans to help evolve ourselves and also have a seat at that mobility table um, and we and some investments that we wanted to make. And so we are still moving towards that goal. We, we just had to take a momentary pause to make sure that our employees were safe um, and our customers were safe. Yeah. So, you know, in, we because the family has been so committed to the business and reinvested in the business, um, we have a great, um, our financial position is incredibly strong that we can we can continue to invest, we can accelerate technology and take opportunities as we as we choose. And it's really exciting. I, everyone is excited. And so we haven't lost track of that vision um, at all. We just again, you just you know, had to been, adjust. Yeah, yeah, there have been some challenges along the way more than one. Get <laughs> to swivel. I'm done with the word pivot. <laughs> swivel, swivel is the is the it's new way word. More elegant than pivot. <laughs> I, I agree with you, and not overused. Um, right. There's a rumor that's going around that on the first day, in and around the first day of 2020, you approached another executive who was wearing a tie, and you cut his tie off to indicate that the culture needed to change. Is that true? It wasn't on the first day, but we definitely changed the dress code several months um, pre-2020. So, um, Did you take the scissors? Oh, we did the scissors. Oh, I cut my dad's tie off. Ah. Yes. 
So I cut my dad's tie off in front of the entire HR team. So we have national meetings that we bring groups of people together. And our HR team obviously leads a lot of these policies. And we continue to listen to our employees. And one of them was the coat and tie um, probably needed a update. And so everyone wanted to take the ties off. And so we thought long and hard. Um, and we said, okay, let's do it. And so I thought there's no better way to do this than cut off Andy's tie. Why not? And everybody went crazy. So you grabbed a pair of scissors. You walked over to Andy who had no idea that this was going to happen. And I cut his tie off. <laughs> he did know. So those are one of the things that we, so this goes back to a family. Um, this is tied back to the family. So I did talk to my dad. Those are one of those things. No surprises. He didn't know I was cutting his tie off, but no surprises on the dress code because Jack is in, was an incredibly charming, professional person, and he wanted to make sure that he represented himself well, he liked to dress up, and he thought that was the expectation of a customer, that he was well presented and the customer would not only like him for him, but also want to do business with him because he looked professional and was dressing. And so that coat and tie was actually something cultural that the family wanted and that the business, it was different than everyone else having that coat and tie. But again, keep an open mind. Times change. We know that there is more casual dress. We know that some of the work that our team does is physical. And so we changed it, but we still want to be presentable and professional, but give our employees some leeway to express themselves the way that they see, you know, they want to do that. So the, that, the dress code thing is a family thing and a little bit of a cultural nuance for us, but it's gone. We cut the tie. <laughs> cut the tie. You cut the ties to the past on that one. That's right. No, we respect the past and use it for the future. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and in fact, Mary Barra, you know, has a phrase, dress appropriately, right? And that's, yeah. and that's how General Motors. And, and the Ford guys started going to blue jeans 10 years ago, if not longer. Yeah. Well, in yeah. the last 14 months, has changed everything. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now it's the Lulu culture. Um, what else did you want to do? coming in what did, i mean what did you want to what was your mark in those early days what what did you want it to be i so that's sort of a legacy question but a mark i mean my time will tell what my legacy is and what my mark is you know in those first several months i wanted to make sure that the team had a clear simplistic vision about where i was going and that were they on board with that? Because this is a team sport and everybody needs to be rowing in the same direction. So, and, and they knew me well because I was COO um, for several years. And so I knew the team, but they didn't report to me. And now that they're reporting to me, that's a different dynamic. And so um, this is really about, that was really about, okay, here's the vision. What do you guys think? Let's sit down at the table where everyone has a voice so that we can move forward together. And that's what I was working on in January and in February. And then March hits. And then March hits. So, so if you don't have the team on board um, and really feel like, you know, the transitioning of CEOs is a big deal. Each CEO has a different style, has different, you know, needs and expectations. And so I needed to reset that. And that is what we were right in the middle of. After the break, we'll hear more from Enterprise CEO Chrissy Taylor, including her thoughts on a post-COVID world at the rental car company, and even some serious soccer ambitions in St. Louis. Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Jason Stein, publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars. From industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back into Cars and Culture. I'm Automotive News publisher Jason Stein in Detroit. Now, a return to my conversation with Enterprise CEO, Chrissy Taylor. So in March of 2020, you're two months into the role. Uh, the buildup, as we've discussed, um, has occurred. You're, you're in place. You're setting a new path, your own path. And then we have this thing called a pandemic. So how'd you deal with that? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's a, it's a great question. Um, I dealt with it with the team. We um, we got everyone together 
And we real so we were actually in Europe in March and we said, should we go on this trip? Should we not go on this trip? And so we were in London and with our European teams and that's when you really started to see it all unfolding. And so we had already begun, what is this gonna mean for Europe? How, and we were with the leadership team. We then flew back, there was some more news and really our fleet um, took a dramatic turn at the end of um, really through March. And so we knew we needed to get the team together. And so we had 8 a.m. meetings every single day for hours. And our boardroom actually became the war room, if you will. And we got everyone together and every day we were talking about what the plan was. And our first and foremost fo focus was the safety and well-being of our employees and our customers. And I think every single business would say that. And so we were we are a frontline business. We are renting cars to the general yeah. public. We are selling cars to the general public and they are coming into our stores. And so what did we need to do to make, to ensure the safety and the teams went out and, and did it. I, the great thing about us is when we decide to do something and get a plan together, we go for it. The team gets on board. We have some discussion about it, but we are great executors and the entire team came together. And that is not just sitting in St. Louis. We have amazing leaderships and leadership, our general managers in every single market. And we're fairly decentralized in that nature. And our general managers, we were calling them on a daily basis to make sure consistently across the US and across the globe, we had the same operating policies to make sure everybody was safe. And so that was just the first step. It was really about crisis management and what we needed to do on a daily basis. That but was like on the outset or like the beginning. We're all moving at our own speed. From essential workers to frontline responders to you. Whenever you're ready to get out there, Enterprise is ready too. With our complete clean pledge, you'll have the peace of mind that will get you safely on your way. Wherever and whenever that may be. Enterprise. When you're ready, we're ready. But the world, the world stopped traveling, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're a rental car company. How do you navigate that? That's right. And so the fir first thing we needed to tell everyone, so communications became one of my top priorities. And when there's uncertainty, it, when there's uncertainty with the business, we need to communicate that. But when there's uncertainty with your personal safety and our employees not just thinking about the business, they're thinking about their own families. I needed to step up and the teams needed to step up to communicate. And so we started launching video messages and talking about where the business was. Yes, we were parking 1 million cars in the US last spring and business had come to a grinding halt. However, at no point in time did we think long-term our business was going to be severely impacted or that we weren't gonna be around anymore because that was a real concern and a real concern in our industry. And so the first thing we needed to do was just tell the team that we are gonna be around, we are still here and we're gonna move. So then people could worry about their personal health and safety. Um, so that the communication um, was big. And then operationally, we needed to find parking spaces for the vehicles. Hmm. And so we, we started parking cars. Um, it was all hands on deck. We are moving vehicles, people in the field, um, which our people have been so amazing and have risen to this challenge and have gone above and beyond. They were doing jobs that they normally didn't do. And so it was a team sport to get ourselves organized in the cars in the right place and adapt to what was and really react to what was going on. You had to have been going home at those first few weeks, you know, with your head in your hands to some extent going, I don't know where this is going. No one knew where it was going. And, yeah. and, no, and whether you were in the hospitality industry, uh, the service industry, you know, what, whatever, I mean, everybody was touched by this at the same time without a clear path on where it was going. It's got to be incredibly frustrating as you, as you had built up to a point where strategically from a from a plan perspective you knew exactly where you wanted to go it's just this was never you know it's the cliche like pivot it was never in the playbook 
That's right. It wasn't in the playbook, but it was sitting there right in front of us. And so we needed to react and address the situation. Um, it, there wasn't, because safety played such a role in this, there wasn't time to think back and say, oh no, we can't do those plans. We were in reaction mode and we needed to do that for the health and safety of everyone. And, but we knew financially we were gonna get through this and that our, we were gonna keep our employees safe. Um, so, you know, hindsight, you know, we did not see the end. Um, we kept comparing it to the recession in 08, um, where we had two, we actually had three not so great months in the recession. Um, and we said, you know what, we, we're gonna do better than that. We can do this. We can, we can pull this together. We can right size our organization. And we did that. And so when I, when I look back, that, those several months in spring, it was, we were reacting. And then after that, once Memorial Weekend came, we saw an uptick in business. Yeah. And any uptick in business was a win. And so winning may look a little different right now and building back our business, but we'll take it. And so since Memorial Weekend, we have been building back our business. And so right there at Memorial Weekend and last summer, we reset. And now we're talking about, okay, let's reshape our business. Let's get back to the plans that we were trying to establish in January. So we keep using these words with our team, react, reset, reshape. That's what happened. And it's time to move forward. In fact, um, you instituted the complete clean pledge, which was a relaunch of your company's cleaning protocols. Employees obviously went through that, that training. You modified your services to include curbside rental transactions, uh, delivery at some locations, um, serving customers where they needed to be served. It goes back to Jack's credo, right? To his creed. Absolutely. 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 And, you know, and it's also about partnerships. So the complete clean pledge, we knew that safety and cleanliness and, you know, the sanitation of vehicles or branches or shuttle bus, um, there was just an even more heightened awareness at that time. And so enter the complete clean pledge. And then also our partnership with Clorox, which they have been a great, great partner. And so you have a one wipe Clorox wipe in every vehicle. And so we were thinking about what is everything that we can do to build confidence in travel. The travel industry is trillions of dollars to the economy. And we need to do our part to get that traveler back online. And that was about building confidence. That was about you know, our complete clean pledge. That was the, our partnership with Clorox. That was going out to the curb and providing a low touch interaction. So we are still thinking about that because even though we see demand this summer and we are so excited that people are <laughs> back online, we still have more to go, right? We see the leisure customer. We need to build confidence in that business traveler. Um, so we need to keep doing that so that we, that the entire travel industry comes back online. But, but now there's a different problem. Now you can't get any cars. <laughs> it's one challenge. It's another <laughs> challenge. You know what? In two years, there's going to be another challenge. I like to say that, hey, I may have only been CEO for 14 months, but we're going to get every single problem out of the way. We're not going to know what to do with ourselves over the next decade. <laughs> we got this. Yeah. Hashtag we got this. <laughs> truly, truly, uh, hitting every curveball that comes your way. Yeah. Um, when you look at the at the state of the industry right now, and of course the um, the unanticipated, the unintended consequences of the smallest parts that exist in a car that are now the biggest problems. How do you deal with that? Yeah. So a lot of industries are dealing with supply chain issues, and you're seeing this all over the place. And yes, there absolutely is a microchip shortage. The OEMs and us have a great partnership and we have been talking to them nonstop about this. Our fleet since Memorial weekend last year, our fleet has been the topic of conversation every single day because oh, yeah. we need to make sure that we have enough vehicles and the vehicles are in the right place. So our acquisition team, we have been committing um, purchases with the manufacturer and we have been taking on vehicles. So we, we have been purchasing cars all year and we have new cars coming in this summer. It's not as many as we want, but we have the newest fleet out there which means that we can extend the life of the vehicle of the vehicles 
so that we can still maintain the rigorous maintenance standards and the complete clean pledge we just talked about. That is so important because we want to be there for our communities when that traveler comes back online. Um, because we want our, we want people to get back to the places that they love and the families that they have missed. And we play a huge role in that. Um, and so our fleet teams and our acquisition teams have been absolutely amazing because this is the most difficult thing that we've had to work through <laughs> or one of the most difficult right. things we have had to work through in the last 14 months. And um, we will get through this just like we've gotten through all of the challenges, but we we have put proactive plans in place to do so. Not to mention the fact that there is a bit of a romanticization of the vehicle again and getting into a vehicle with people whom you know and traveling where you want to go um, that could yes. just spur all kinds of things. Absolutely. And so not only so when we look at the challenge of a supply chain, um, you have to look below that. And what are the trends that we are seeing in the business so we can address and sort of embrace those trend trends. So the leisure customer rents cars for longer periods of time that changes the flow of our business. They also want to rent bigger vehicles. Um, like SUVs and minivans, because they want to get in with their family to go see other family members. And so that dynamic also changes our fleet purchases. Um, so we are watching. Oh, and then the other thing is, so you're in Florida and you talked about the spring breaker and who doesn't want to go see the beach right now and who doesn't want to go see it in a convertible. <laughs> so all of these specialty vehicles are also in high demand. And so when we look at those trends, we have to base um, our fleet off that, and we have to make sure that we're, you know, we're holding ourselves to a high standard of what the customer expectation is. And so these trends have shifted since the pandemic. Our business does look different. And so we've had to address that along the way um, with our fleet plan, with the manufacturers, with all of our other partners to make sure they understand where we are and how we're here to help. Um, and it, again, it goes back to partnerships, whether that's a business customer or a leisure customer or an OEM or Clorox. This is about being a good partner for the long haul. Well, in fact, who doesn't want to go to the beach in, in a convertible that's an exotic rental from Enterprise? Exactly. Oh, our exotic business, everybody's loving it. So we continue to build out that business and have um, a robust plan to continue to grow it. So we're, we're excited about that business. How's the rental car business going to change going forward? What will it look like in five or 10 years, Chrissy? I wish I had a crystal ball um, and I can tell you what the rental industry looks like. Um, but we know that, and a lot of businesses are saying that, that innovation has been accelerated during this time. And so if we continue to listen to our customers and our employees, um, we will continue to evolve with the mobility industry. But we know I think in the short term, our customers want a frictionless, personalized experience where they are in control. And so we will continue to work on that. We also know that they are customers are moving around differently. They also want different products and services. And so what other services do they want that we can offer? Because we have this diverse portfolio already with truck, with car sales, with exotic, with rental. And so we need to continue to build out that portfolio. And then also what customers drive is going to change and the technology in the car is gonna change, whether that be electrification, whether that be a connected car, or for the long haul, whether that's an autonomous vehicle. So we know that we need to adapt, we need to change, we need to listen so that we can be part of, you know, evolving the mobility industry. So, and we're excited and, you know, we, we want to play and we know we can play a leadership role in that. Can you also lead as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion using your own role, using the place that you have and that CEO transition that took place between you and Pam as, uh, as a marker in time to say, um, the auto industry, which has traditionally been um, not very representative of that, can change. Absolutely. You know, as a leader, I am a role model. That transition from one female CEO to another, that is an example that people look to. And in our organization, our teams look to that. And then it, that's just one example of, you know, of celebrating women within the organization. And there are lots of examples across the automotive industry of fe strong female leadership. 
So one, I think about in my role, how am I paying it forward? How do I pay it forward? How do I make sure that I'm mentoring and making a difference within my own organization and also paying it forward in the industry? And to the DEI initiatives, obviously social issues, this has also been a very um, difficult year, but a huge recognition of we need to do more. We have a program for DEI that we have worked on for decades, but we have to do more and we need a plan. And we've done a couple things to make sure that we are leading in this space. We hired a chief diversity officer, Aaron Braddock, who has been with us for, um, I, I believe about uh, 10 years. Um, and he has transitioned into this role and he reports into me. So we are working on a plan for the organization, but we want to move forward quickly but we're, what we've also been focused on is we want to be urgent, but we want to be patient because we have to be thoughtful and listen so that we get the real issues out on the table. So um, internally, we're launching new programs. We have Aaron um, running the lead on all of these initiatives, and I feel really good about the momentum we have. Externally, we've also launched Road Forward which my cousin, Carolyn, who also works for the family business, is leading. And Road Forward is about childhood development. It's about well-being and health. And it's about college, prepar uh, college and career uh, prep. And so we want to make sure that we're covering the gamut to get a person um, the critical skills they need to be successful. And so we have national partners that we are partnering with, with Road Forward. And then also what is so impactful about our organization is we're decentralized. And so our general managers in the field, they drive all of these initi initiatives locally. And that's where the firepower comes from. So Monday, I was in Minneapolis visiting our team because it is so important for me to check in with the team. How are you doing? What's going on? And so our general manager up in Minneapolis, Ozzy, we talked about, hey, what are you involved in in the community? What are your teams involved in in the community? What's important in the Minneapolis market? And so we walk through what their DEI strategy was and what their community giving strategy was. And so we have spent a lot of time this year talking not just about the business and in a pandemic, but the human element of our business and um, how the, our organization, we have so much to give and we wanna make sure that our employees um, are thriving within it. So it's huge on our radar and we can also be a leader there. It's difficult to build a team atmosphere when you can't be in the same room, right, with most folks. And that's that's how right. uh, we have spent the last year and a half or so. I'm guessing that your priority is to get back to those team building exercises mm -hmm. and environments and atmospheres. Um, that's got to be high on your list. Yes, absolutely. Nothing replaces going out to see our team um, in their groups and operations and saying thank you and listening to all the great work that they've done and just, you know, be there for support and being visible. And we have been, um, we have been visiting the teams. Um, we've made, yesterday we had teams in Ohio. I was in Minneapolis. Um, we visited other, other cities. Um, and so, yes, we are, look, we are a relationship company and we, we have done a great job pounding the virtual pavement, but nothing replaces that face-to-face -face collaboration, interaction with our employees or with a company or partner. So yes, we are looking forward to doing that. Maybe somewhat related, Chrissy, when it comes to management and, and um, working as, a, as collaborative team members, what remains post-COVID that's been adopted? I mean, internally. Yeah, I mean, there are good things about being on Zoom or Teams. And so I think the combination between in-person and building the relationship face-to-face -face, and then also using the technology and embracing it to be efficient and to get updates, I think that works. There is definitely a combination. It's not one or the other. And so technology will, will stay. Um, I think we are a much more efficient organization and collaboration because we are in the travel industry. It was hard during the pandemic. We, we had to minimize some of our resources. And so the collaboration between marketing, IT, product, our operations, that collaboration has never been greater because we had to work together as a team to face this pandemic. And so that will stay. 
And so we are excited about the future. We're excited about what we've learned, um, but we, we have to use that moving forward. Let's learn a little bit more about some of the things that you like. Uh, you're Uh-oh. heavily involved. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> you're, you're heavily involved in soccer in the St. Louis area. Tell me about the MLS team. Oh, yes. So welcome MLS to St. Louis. Um, so it's St. Louis City is our team, and it is a family. The family, along with one other partner, is bringing MLS in St. Louis City to, um, to St. Louis. Um, my dad always said, no way would we ever own a sports team. And all of a sudden, he comes into a meeting that the whole entire family is at, and he said, I have an idea. And we're like, What? We're like, you want to do what? We're like, we always said that you weren't going to, we weren't going to own, or you weren't going to own a sports team. He's like, I'm not owning it. We're owning it. And so it is a really great example of a female majority owned soccer, a sports club. The first in MLS history. First in MLS history. And there are several other examples across sports, um, but we're really thrilled to be a part of that. And it's not about owning an MLS team. It's about the St. Louis community and giving back to the community in which our headquarters is and where all all of our families have grown up. Um, So the stadium is going up. It's great. It's just over 20,000 occupancy or uh, seats. And what's so great about it is that it's smaller than, you know, we've got the Enterprise Center here. We also have, um, and then, so the Enterprise Center is bigger and we've got the Cardinal Stadium, Bush Stadium, which is bigger. This feels like a community. You know, it's smaller, it's tighter, it's communal. We can all come together to celebrate St. Louis, but then also watch amazing soccer or football, if you will. So are you are you a big football fan? So my husband is a Brit. And so I Mm. do watch a lot of football (laughs) slash soccer um, on the weekend. So the TV goes on at six in the morning and we watch it until about noon. And I'm like, okay, we're done. I'm like, we're done. So I know a lot about the Premier League. (laughs) Who does he support? Manchester United, which I said was so unoriginal. (laughs) (laughs) But that's great. Whoever you want to support. Um, But it is, you know, we are learning a lot about, you know, the community and what it takes to have a sports team in the community so that we have the support and really make it an enjoyable, fun place where all families and all people are welcome to celebrate the community and the soccer team. Final thing, what would Jack Taylor say about his granddaughter? I think he would be proud. And I think he would be proud of the entire family. You know, Jack loved the business. He loved the family. And he would be so proud that we are continuing his legacy. And we all feel a huge sense of pride and respect for the business and all of our employees. And he would just love it that we are we are doing our best to take care of both our customers and our employees. And he would say that with a suit and tie on. And if you were in the same room, you'd cut the tie off and <laughs> we'd all start laughing. I would not cut Jack's tie off. I would only cut my father's tie off. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, for the record. For the record, I would not cut his tie off. <laughs> Chrissy Taylor, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, great. No, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And thank you to all the business partners out there and for you all being a great supporter of ours. We really appreciate it. Best of luck in the second year now of your CEO-ship. Let's get all the curveballs out of the way. That's right. That's right. Hey, it's been exciting. That's for sure. You've made it You've made it that way too. Thank you, Chrissy. Great. Thank you. Thanks again to Enterprise CEO Chrissy Taylor. And thanks for listening to another week of Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. We'll see you down the road.